At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's federal season. Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast, It's Federal Season. I'm Jason Nash, Federal's Vice President of Marketing. Along with me is Brian Kelvington, Director of Media. Hey, Jason. Today, we're happy to have Ben Cassidy of Safari Club International, or SCI, to talk with us about the organization, its mission, and the work it does on behalf of hunters worldwide. Ben, thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Thanks, uh, Jason, as well, for, for having us on. I'm really excited to have the conversation. Great. Well, we, we love having you on, and conservation is deep within our roots here at Federal, so we're excited to talk. Uh, let's start off with uh, just a quick, if you could give our listeners, for those of them who are not fully uh, aware of SCI, if you could just give us a quick overview of SCI and its mission, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Safari Club International, uh, SCI, we were founded um, about 50 years ago in, in California. Um, we've grown over the decades uh, to be a membership-driven organization of 50,000 folks um, made up all over the globe, about 200 chapters um, that are just scattered scattered all over the globe. So I work, um, I'm the director of the government affairs for, for SCI, so oversee our advocacy and, you know, the different fights that, that we find ourselves in um, or promoting um, across all elected bodies, you know, um, throughout the globe. So if it's a fight over, you know, tar in Wellington, New Zealand, or, you know, a trophy ban that's being bandied about, you know, in Sacramento and California, um, where they're fighting it. Uh, you know, we, we had a new uh, CEO, I guess he's not so new anymore, but he started up a little over a year ago, I guess maybe a year and a half ago, uh, Laird Hamberlin, um, lifetime SCI member, uh, volunteer, you know, decades of being involved, um, really successful businessmen decided to to come over and take over the reins um, here at SCI. And you know, the first thing that he really put in place were, you know, our four pillars that, that we really focus on, and that's you know, uh, advocacy, uh, conservation, uh, membership, and our convention. Um, annually, we we have our, our big get together powwow. Um, it's normally, it was in Reno the last two years. It was going to be in Vegas this year and next year, and then go out to Nashville. But unfortunately, uh, next year's was canceled, uh, which is, you know, a big letdown for all the folks that come through. You know, it's branded as the ultimate uh, sportsman's marketplace. Um, and really is. It's, it's an incredible sight to be seen. But, you know, as with most, you know, large gatherings, uh, there was a casualty of, you know, COVID-19. But really excited about next year's or, or following year's 2022 because that will be our convention's 50th anniversary um that'll be in vegas uh, before we head over to nashville so um lots of lots of good stuff to look forward to yeah COVID has definitely changed the landscape for events i mean we're seeing that for everybody um now typically you, know, you talked a little bit about the numbers 
you know, 50,000 members, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. How, when, when you have a convention like SCI, how many different countries are represented? Oh, man. That's a good question. I don't know what the exact number is, uh, but like, so we're a member-driven organization. We have all these, you know, different committees. Like we've got our Europe committee. We have International uh, Affairs and Development Committee. Uh, and I'll sit in on those meetings because we, we have our business segment, you know, before all the, the, the floor time starts. Um, and in one of those rooms, you know, like in IADC, I'll be sitting around the table, you know, with, with our representatives from all over Europe, all over South America, all over, you know, Asia. Um, so it really is a nice, diverse, eclectic group. And then just for the exhibitors, I mean, you're seeing hunts, dream hunts, hunts of a lifetime, uh, fishing trips of a lifetime, adventures of a lifetime that just cover every corner of the globe, um, you know, and being sold by by the folks that, that are in the country, being the guides, um, you know, just representing every continent, really. Um, it's really a cool sight to be seen. You end up meeting a lot of really, really fascinating folks, you know, um, with all sorts of perspectives. So Ben, the, the SCI record book is probably what most people think of when they think of SCI. Tell us a little bit more about what that is, where it came from and, you know, benefits, um, of using that kind of a program. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, that, that's one of our, our longest standing, uh, programs or member benefits um, is our record book, you know, across species, um, across different take methods, um, tracking uh, the different, you know, trophies and and sizes. Um, And it's really been a big driver of our membership for for a long time. Um, I think some of the entries have been down a bit with less folks able to get out and and, and hunt internationally. but it's been pretty incredible, you know, having been in place for so long and then becoming the uh, the standard. Uh, just the the vast amount of data that's in it um, really has, you know, a data set that most folks don't have for trekking or tracking, you know, the health of of, of different species, um, different sizes, and uh, you know different numbers of, of species that, that, that have been taken. Um, so kind of see it, you know, as a real cool uh, tool for, for, for just science and conservation in general, um, you know, in addition to, to it, you know, just being a collection of some of the greatest, you know, animals that have ever been hunted and taken. So. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. I don't think everybody shares that. That's really important in terms of management. Hey, Ben, this is Brian. Recently, you guys held an event in Georgia that uh, wanted to, I think the goal was to recruit and introduce new hunters and shooters to, the, to our industry, to our passions. Why are these types of activities so important to SCI? Yeah, I mean, so our tagline, you know, is first for hunters. I mean, that was a huge draw for me uh, coming to SCI uh, last year to work for SCI is it is an organization that puts the hunter first uh, and represents the hunter. And that may seem kind of simple, but you'd see it in a lot of folks, you know, when, what I've seen in, in advocacy um, are groups that, that, that talk about the land um, and, and the species, but not specifically about the hunter. And I mean, you guys, federal, you know Pittman-Robertson better than anyone. You basically put the bill just given the way the model's put up. But without, you know, the Pittman-Robertson and, and the user, the hunter, you know, it, it's a broken model uh, you don't have the north american model 
So it's incumbent upon us uh, to ensure that there are hunters in the future. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, with hunting, it can be a little overwhelming to, to someone new or someone that, you know, it's not in their family. Um, so it's critical, you know, to, to have those, those mentors in place. And, you know, with an SCI, I see ourselves as being, you know, a group of 50,000 mentors or potential mentors to, to evangelize and, 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 you know, get folks out, out into the field. Um, so programs like you mentioned in Georgia, uh, just critical, you know, to, 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 uh, to getting the, the sport and the, and the heritage out in front of new folks um, so that we can ensure that, you know, people keep on partaking in, you know, what, what we love to do, um, especially given how critical it is uh, for, you know, all of our conservation successes. Yeah, especially um, now that we have this influx of new users to our, um, to our industry, it's important to get them off, as you said, with the mentorship to get them on the right foot so that they keep coming back year after year. So we applaud you guys for doing totally. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's undeniable that, you know, hunting or just being outdoors in general, I mean, it's really piqued a lot of folks curiosity, you know, folks that hadn't really uh, shown interest in the past. Um, it's on us really to, to capture that enthusiasm and that interest while it's there. And we're seeing it through, you know, license sales and, you know, the number of folks that are taking hunter safety classes so, I mean, now's the time for us to be not just talking about recruitment, but actually, you know, getting it done. Yeah. You know, um, SCI is constantly promoting the benefits uh, of hunting as it relates to wildlife conservation. Obviously, it's in one of your four pillars. Um, mm-hmm. in, in fact, you guys got a great website where you can, you just smell, you just spell the myths. Uh, you got a myth and facts section to help educate hunters on issues. Tell us why you think both sides are so passionate. Yeah, I mean, hunt the facts. Yeah, um, that was a fun project to, to put together. The team really did a, a knockout job on it. Um, it's it's constantly a battle, you know. Um, just defending um, defending hunting can, can take some explaining at times. It can to folks that have never been out and and done it. Um, it can kind of be a head scratcher for some folks to understand how you know having a, having scientifically controlled hunting seasons aids and contributes to healthier uh, numbers. Um, We all know it, you know, having seen it. I mean, these days, you know, North America, I mean, it's the golden age. uh, That can be attributed to, you know, having well-defined and well-run hunting seasons. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, Tennessee would be having, you know, elk seasons. I mean, that's just incredible. Our deer numbers are, the roof our turkey numbers are through the roof all these species that were bottoming out and that all came from having you know uh regulated hunting seasons uh, but when you get into you know the the court of public opinion you know in social media you have your detractors um that won't let a, a fact get in the way of you know what point they want to make um and often you know go after hunting and try to discredit it so try to just make it easy and just have, you know, the facts with the citations and the sources on hand for people to, to be able to, to point to. Yeah. It's a great read, Ben. And I would encourage the people listening to this podcast to go on that site, uh, on that page within the site and, and you can just help fill up your own toolbox, right? When people come up to you and ask you, you know, how could you hunt and here's the factual reasons and let the emotion, um, 
be subsided and give them the facts. And I think there's a lot of great information that um, people can use to to fill up their toolbox as some good talking points. Yeah, well, well, appreciate that. You know, and it goes back to what we've seen too. It's like, if you look at this, the general population, probably 10% of the folks out there that no matter what you say about hunting, they're going to hate it. And there's, you know, 10% that no matter what, you know, if they love hunting, they, they partake in it. And then there's sort of a 80% in the middle that are, that are persuadable. Um, and we've seen it through study after study after study. I mean, you present the facts on the conservation benefits, you know, healthy proteins, uh, time outside, uh, you know, just communing with nature. Uh, you sway people towards towards the hunting side. It just, it can take some of the explaining sometimes. So we just try to make that as easy as possible for folks that, They'd rather be hunting than arguing, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, speaking of things that you guys are doing on behalf of hunters' rights right now, tell us a little bit about the Share the Impact program and campaign and what its purpose yeah. is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's Share the Impact. It's, it's, it's referring to COVID, you know, and we're all being affected by it negatively. And just one group, you know, that's really been hit extremely hard are, are the guides and outfitters, uh, you know, folks that, that would normally be be well into their seasons now, you know, are having because of travel restrictions, you know, government shutdowns, you know, some of their seasons uh, closed and some of those uh, business opportunities shut down. So they've had they've they've been hit hard. Um, they're some of our, our our most fantastic members. You know, we're a hundred percent on 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 the side of our, of our guides and wanted to take care of them. So you know, our CEO did something about it, and he got us all thinking uh, as a team at SCI. How do we help them out? Um, you know, w- what can we do? So we ended up doing a big fundraising drive o- over the summer and raised, you know, north of six hundred thousand uh, dollars to be distributed out um, as grants to to all the different, you know, uh, hunting and guiding umbrella organizations. Uh, it was just really incredible just to see, you know, SCI members step up with that sort of generosity. Um, I think it can really make a difference and really help a lot of folks out, you know, when, when things have been so tough. No, that's fantastic. And then I think diving a little bit more into the work that, that you do every day. Um, you know, one of the really important things that, that happened recently was the, uh, great American outdoors act. T- yeah. Tell us a little bit about your contribution to that, your involvement in that, and then what that means to all of us as sportsmen. And women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was one that was extremely exciting. You know, uh, I worked at our Department of Interior, focusing on the conservation side of things um, before I came over to SCI. So really worked a lot on that while I was over at Interior and then came to SCI, understand, you know, understand the benefits to hunters, knew that it would be a priority um, to make sure as soon as we saw, you know, Corey Gardner, Senators Corey Gardner and Steve Gaines introduced the language, um, we went full-throated at SCI um, in support. Um, since I came on, we've, we've put in place a grassroots tool. We call it the Hunter Action Advocacy Center. Um, makes it very easy for our members to uh, reach out to, to their elected officials, you know, to push them to co-sponsor and to vote for priority legislation. So we got that turned on, started having our folks, you know, get their, their senators to to, to co-sponsor and we had instead of a fly-in like we normally have a fly-in we're like all our members come into dc and we're going and hitting all the offices and sitting down and meeting one-on-one and 
you know, having receptions afterwards. That was all, that was off. So we did a virtual advocacy week and we had, you know, uh, Senators Gardner and Danes uh, join us and just kind of talk about uh, just how big in scope um, the bill was and, and how, how it would be, you know, the biggest win for, for hunters and generations um, really just got, got our members excited. And we turned on that advocacy machine again um, and just had, you know, thousands of, uh, of, of, of emails and, and letters sent to, to all the offices. Um, eventually, you know, uh, passed the, the Senate, passed the House, went to, to the president's desk. Uh, White House invited us, SCI, to, to attend. So our CEO went over and attended the, the signing. Uh, really awesome data, you know, just celebrate. Um, again, just a, a huge win. Um, and that, and that, that uh, it gave dedicated um, funding uh, for LWCF, made sure that, you know, the Land Water Conservation Fund wasn't just going to be like a political football that, that didn't get the funding that it needed, but would receive the funding. Um, it also had huge chunks of money in place to uh, fix deferred maintenance projects. You know, these growing lists of, of fixes that, that have been needed, you know, in parks, forest, uh, forest service, uh, fish and wildlife refuges, BLM land, um, just the money needed to, to keep them up and make them a, as accessible as possible for, for the benefit and enjoyment, you know, of, of the people. So really, really excited that that, that was put in place. Um, now it's really on us as hunters to stay engaged with the process as they implement it. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, they're identifying uh, lands with LWCF um, and access opportunities uh, for hunting and fishing. Um, so still still a work in progress, but just having that, that the known that it's going to be funded going forward um, substantially, uh, it's a huge win for, for anyone that, that enjoys our, our, our shared, you know, public lands. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, the pandemic has presented a lot of challenges for all of us, but definitely some big, bright spots for the outdoor industry. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, the Cecil Act and, and certain more negative aspects of, of hunting that you work to, uh, to squash in your role and how you work positively with African wildlife officials to, you know, work with com- uh, countries, sorry, you also work with African wildlife officials to stop like California from passing restrictive import legislation. Why is that important work for hunters and, and how do you go about working with them? Oh yeah. I mean, so since, since the pandemic started, we've seen it across the globe in front of different elected bodies, the same sort of approach where it's, it's a bill that's posed as an animal health bill, COVID bill, you know, a a wet market bill that always has some language slipped into it. That's a trophy ban. Uh, we, we saw it and defeated it in Brussels in front of the, the, the parliament there. Um, you spoke about California where it was defeated. Cecil Act, you know, wasn't taken up on the floor of uh, this Congress. Um, it, 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 it's like a copycat bills, bad bills. They move faster than, than good bills. Uh, so we've been seeing them pop up, but, you know, you, you talk to Fish and Wildlife Service career officials, um, talk to the folks that are that are on the ground in Africa, you know, surrounded by all these iconic species. Uh, the benefits to to hunting 
and and empowering the communities there uh, to manage their populations, um, benefit off of their natural resources. Um, not enough can be said there. You know, if you don't have these lands in Africa opened up to hunting opportunities, they revert to being, you know, ag land or used for a different use that's going to bring money to that community. Um, and once it goes that way, you don't really get back that sort of population density or or variety. So the 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 conservation benefits to, to, to those to those hunting opportunities can't be um, overstated. Uh, the politicians see it differently. Um, a key example would be California, um, where they had you know an explicit trophy ban bill um, that went through the full process uh, in Sacramento and ultimately defeated it. The real key there was, you know, African voices, the people that actually managed the species um, being given a voice in Sacramento, um, you know, calling in for, for the hearings as expert witnesses, uh, you know, just direct letters to the different elected officials. Uh, I think that it, 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 I know that it really made a difference. I, I watched the whole process unfold, you know, from my screen with the virtual hearings and the voting. Um, it ended up dying because uh, they didn't get a final vote on it before the session ended, you know, at midnight um, on a day during uh, the summer in July. Um, the clock got run out because non-traditional allies started questioning it, saying, this doesn't seem right that we're making this broad decision here about how these folks should manage their own resources. Um, that resonated, you know, you ended up having a lot of different, you know, non-traditional allies. Um, I guess it's politics, right? Strange bedfellows it makes um, really stand up. Um, kind of the same tact that, you know, we kind of see taken in all these different elected bodies is, is giving voice, you know, to the folks that manage their resources and pointing out the hypocrisy of somebody on the other side of the planet um, thinking that they could do a better job. Uh, Cecil Act, we, we, uh, that's, that's the, the trophy ban bill um, in D.C. in front of the, the, the U.S. Congress and the U.S. House. Um, that was, you know, introduced by the chairman, the highest ranking member of the National Resources, Resources Committee, Raul Grijalva. Um, they had a, a hearing and a markup in committee, but it never uh, saw a floor vote. Um, we really turned on our grassroots machine on that as well having our folks oppose it. Um, so they I guess spoke up loudly yeah, in so the I, thousands. And so I guess, Ben, that means that's that's why you're so busy in your office in Washington, D.C., because if you're not there advocating and watching on our behalf, things like this could slip through. And so organizations have people like you uh, situated in D.C. To, to work on our behalf and be aware, because you never know at the 11th hour on the 59th minute, what would happen if you weren't there to, to, um, to be there on behalf of, uh, on behalf of us. Sure. And yeah. And, and I'd be remiss to not say, you know, it's not just me. I mean, it's an incredible team at SCI. We, we, we have an office that's on Capitol Hill, you know, in the shadow of the Capitol, basically a hunting embassy, you know, in that building is some of the, you know, the finest folks that, that you could work with. I mean, we've got, 
you know, our, our, our legal beagles, we've got our, our policy experts, we got a crack comms team, we have wildlife biologists, you know, all those key pieces. And yeah, we, we, we track it as closely as anybody. Cause I mean, a lot of times these things kind of get slipped through, like you say, you know, like in the dark at night. Um, but it's all, you know, a, a family and a team of folks at SCI that, you know, it, it's a passion project and there's nothing else we'd rather be doing. And maybe we have an illness and how, how closely we follow it all, but, uh, it's the fight that it's the fight that we want to be in, you know? Yeah. Well, we applaud you for that. And thank you so much. Um, as we wrap up this conversation, you know, one question that it's always, you know, looking down the road, but, um, think, talk about the health of the world's huntable species, you know, where we sit today versus 30 years ago. And what does the future hold for uh, sustainable hunting populations? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And again, like I think you look to North America with our model, it's one of our greatest exports ever. It's really what you see a lot of, you know, the international um, um, hunting uh, management approaches uh, model. It's, it's the gold standard. Uh, and what we've seen with it being, you know, in place and the model in the U.S. for the last century um, are just record wildlife numbers. It's like I'd said before, it's, it's the golden age right now. I mean, we've never had so many opportunities and such great um, species health. You know, I do have concerns, you know, with, with other countries, with having these lockdowns right now, with not being able to have the hunting opportunities. I think it's making it very challenging for a lot of these species um, to be managed. Um, but I have confidence in, you know, things opening back up and things getting back to, to the way they were. Um, but the, again, there's always the fight to be had. You know, I, it's, it's incumbent on us protecting uh, that freedom to hunt and, and get out there because that is the, the, the key cogs in that North American model. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're, we should all be proud of the work we do and continue to do more, especially as we introduce new people. So Ben, really appreciate you coming on and telling us a little bit more about SCI and your importance to um, hunting populations and, and um, what you're doing to further our, our sport. So uh, love the work you're doing. Thank you uh, for joining us. And um, we look forward to seeing you down the road here. I can't wait for it either in person. It's going to be a great thing, but I, I do really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I could talk forever on this, so it's good that you put a cap on me, but anytime you guys want to talk SCI or, or hunting, you know, you've got a partner here in DC. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Have a great afternoon. Thank you too. After the break, we'll talk with Drew Goodland, head of new product development about safari specific ammunition and some of the larger calibers designed to perform on the world's deadliest game. Meet the industry's widest variety of game changing ammunition. However you shoot and whatever you hunt, fortune favors the prepared and nothing prepares you better than federal premium. It's a gold standard advantage delivered directly from the experts in premium ammunition. Find your federal premium advantage today. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk. Welcome back to the It's Federal Season podcast and the Tech Talk segment. I'm Jason Nash and joining me is Drew Goodland 
He's our head of product development. And, uh, you know, we just had a great conversation with Ben Cassidy at SCI. A lot of people think of Safari. They think about international destinations and the majesty of hunting the diverse game of South Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe. The romanticism continues when you think about guns and calibers. Double barrel big bore guns with soft point and a solid ready to fire at an elephant, lion, or cape buffalo. Let's talk about the difference between just very basically a solid and a soft point. Drew, what are they and, and what are their purposes when you're hunting larger thick skin game? Well, Jason, first off, it's great to be here with you today and uh, joining your show here. Um, Solids are basically bullets designed to not expand and give you maximum deep penetration and typically used for really large game like Cape Buffalo and elephant, things like that, where you need feet of penetration as opposed to your, you know, your normal kind of bullets used for whitetail that don't have to penetrate that deep. Soft points are designed to expand and cause maximum terminal um, effects. And typically in the thinner skin game like whitetail deer, animals like that, you would want a soft point that's, that's going to cause that, again, maximum terminal effects. Um, you don't have the big bones to break through or the big thick skull to pass through. So that softer bullet of a soft point is, is what's optimized you know, for that kind of game. Yeah, and it's inter- interesting, too, because uh, you think about a full metal jacket, which is essentially what a solid is, is not ideal for hunting <laughs> any, any animals here in North America. But when you talk about you know, what an elephant, a Cape Buffalo and those, those bones and that thick muscle you have to get through. Yeah, exactly. Those solids either have really thick jackets and a hard core or they're solid monolithic, uh, copper kind of bullets, again, designed to not disrupt and to fly straight through the animal and not, uh, you know, go off in a tangent and not get to the vitals. So they have very specific designs, both in the material and their shape to give that, uh, that really deep penetration. Let's talk about cartridges, uh, calibers. We think of, you know, 375 H&H is one of the most popular, 416 Rigby, 500 Nitro, Nitro Express. What are the most popular for game like Cape Buffalo? And, you know, what do you look at when you're developing um, these loads? Yes. Africa? Yeah, they're just tremendous energy in those big cartridges. The 375, as you mentioned, the 416s, the 458s. They carry heavy bullets, high grain weights, tremendous energy, and of course you get a lot of recoil with those kind of bullets as well. But you need that that energy for those very large animals, and uh, so they're again optimized for the the uh, you know the big game of Africa and maybe in uh, Alaska places like that where you need you know like lots of energy to be able to bring that animal down effectively. Beyond dangerous game, yeah, uh, Africa and, and other. Uh, continents have an abundance of plains game uh, in Africa, specifically Eland, Gemsbuck, and uh, the Kudu, which is kind of the king of plains game for a lot of people. Um, what are what would you say are your caliber recommendations and and a bullet for that kind of game, like a Kudu? Yeah, so as you're shooting further distances, plains game, even hunting elk and things like that, you're going to go to smaller calibers that are able to shoot ballistically further and flatter and uh, so the 30 cals come to mind the, the 300 magnums with their 180 grain their 200 grain heavy bullets again are designed to have great exterior ballistics to get you there to get you beyond the 200 yards the three and the 400 etc 
and then provide enough energy and, you know, in bullet construction to be able to bring those kind of animals down. So uh, Terminal Ascent's a great bullet that has all those attributes of having great ballistic coefficients for long-range shooting, but yet retains a lot of energy. It's not slowing down, so when it impacts the target, you know, it has the energy needed to, to bring down that game swiftly. Um, they're just, those kind of bullets like Terminal Ascent are designed to expand. They have a soft front end that expands and dumps that terminal energy but yet they have a solid shank on the bullet that's designed to stop that upset or that bullet expansion at the perfect point to, uh, to provide the, you know, a, a lot of weight retention for deep penetration and maximum energy transfer. Well said. You know, we, we've got a lot of different options in, in the federal premium lineup of bullet styles. And, you know, Jack Carter's famous trophy-bonded bear claw is really the basis for a lot of them. What, what did that design mean for the controlled expansion bullet and and why has that been one that that's been the catalyst for so many different types yeah jack's bullet is is the industry standard it is the best of the best you know with its again it, it's got a a soft front end with a bonded lead core so the lead stays attached to the jacket as it goes through its upset mechanism but yet the second half the back half of the bullet is solid copper and that, that does not deform, you know, so that, that gives you the high weight retention, again, with this perfect upset every time that this delivers the results you need, you know, no matter what the, the situation may be, whether you're shooting at a, a bear at 50 yards or an eland or a kudu at, at 250, 300 yards, that bullet will perform the same time and time. We talked a little bit about African Plains game and dangerous game. If you come back to, to North American big game like grizzly, brown bears, a lot of people have differing opinions on what you should shoot for a, a cartridge. What's your opinion on a 30 cal versus a 338 or 375? Yeah, that's a great question. With today's bullets, the 30 cals work very well. I personally like to shoot the 338 caliber. It gives you the compromise between... A, a small cow bullet with its lower grain weights and the big heavy bullets like the 375, it's right there in the middle and it's got the perfect combination of good exterior ballistics, but yet really good terminal effects through that high grain weight and, and adequate velocities. So, you know, sometimes we push these bullets really fast. The 338s, um, like the 338 Federal, you know, it's, it's like the perfect velocity for these bullets to do what they're designed to do. And if somebody were to say, look, I'm confident that my 300 wind mag, 300 Weatherby is going to, to take down this big bear. Does grain weight matter in the bullet? Grain weight gets you sectional density, right? It's the weight of the bullet looking you know, as, as a compared to its diameter or its cross-sectional area. So the higher the sectional density, the better that bullet resists air. So that's one thing that the, that the grain weight gets you. But then you also have tremendous energy with that, with that grain weight that really helps with the terminal effects. So in a 30 cal magnum, stepping up from the 180 to a 200 grain is a great choice as the animal gets bigger and you need to be able to break bone and, and deliver even more uh, energy on target. That's great. That's really helpful. Um, one last question, Drew. What is the heaviest recoiling hunting rifle you've ever shot? What cartridge? 600 Nitro. <laughs> Only shot it once. <laughs> and probably won't ever shoot it again. How many teeth, <laughs> how many teeth did you lose? Yeah, just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
Up next, our news and notes section of the It's Federal Season podcast. We'll share what's making headlines at Federal, including promotions on Federal gear and product. There's a time and a place for every season. This is that time, and these are those special places. When preparation gives way to anticipation, rituals, and traditions. Friends, family, forever. This is what you live for. It's time to celebrate the annual tradition like no other. It's federal season. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the News and Notes segment. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the News and Notes segment. I'm Brian Covington, Director of Media. To wrap up our discussion on safari calibers and ammunition, a great resource is the federal website. Go to federalpremium.com forward slash rifle forward slash premium hyphen safari for a complete look at all the offerings. Not every dealer is going to carry all 33 offerings in the premium safari line. They are on the site and available for order. The federal website is also a great resource for up-to-date promotions. Go to federalpremium.com promotions for all current rebates and promotions from federal ammunition. In addition, there is some great information for new users. If you're new to hunting or shooting, go to federalpremium.com getting started and our teams have assembled a collection of videos and articles that will assist in early success. From hunting do's and don'ts to what you need to know when heading to the range, our experts share their expertise, give you a head start on your entry into the shooting sports or hunting arenas. If you like the It's Federal Season podcast, be sure to let us know by filling out a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, for us, it's always in season. It's federal season.